Warning, Supernatural The Crossroads contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. to another episode of Supernatural The Crossroads, the Winchester edition. I am your host, Thomas Cowley. Joined with me today is Michael Flores. Hello. And Ryan Denton could not be in studio today because he had to get his butt waxed. Oh. So it's a whole process. It's like a thicket down there. And so he's just going to be out until the next episode. But we wish him all the best. If you've seen 40-Year-Old Virgin, it's something similar to that. For those of you who are still around, <laughs> this show here is a fan show where we're talking about the supernatural spinoff, The Winchesters. You can find this show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Supernatural The Crossroads. But our preferred podcast provider is iTunes because you guys can leave reviews and rate the show, which helps us significantly. Any ratings is appreciated, although five-star, obviously, if we if you feel that we have qualified for that, is the best thing that we can hope for. It helps us get seen by more people, get our show out there, and lets us do more. I also work for five stars, too. So you, if you work, need, yes. Yeah, so if you need me to do something for you, like landscaping. Like, I was gonna say, or, is it like landscaping, or is it like more, you know? Sexual as well. Okay. Yeah, if that's you want me to at. landscape in my new, in the nude, yeah, if that's you what you're into. Like I mean, seed the grass. <laughs> and then seed the grass. I could, oh, wow. <laughs> I could till the ground. Okay, that's a two-star right there. <laughs> oh come on! That's all. No, that, this that's is at least four and a half. This is stars. an adult show. We we're very, you know, important and intelligent and educated about all of our opinions. Listen, Thomas, if they're trying to sell Carlos as being sexy, I mean, let's let's try to that, sell me. It's not you know, true. That's fair. Either one isn't true. <laughs> oh, it's all about the marketing, right? Okay, so we are talking about season one. Episode nine, cast your fate to the wind. This episode was mixed, odd, questionable, because it seemed to be, at least in my opinion, a little bit all over the place. It was both on point with what it was trying to do, but also not sure of what that means as a whole for the show. And in that respect, I feel like it's very similar to the previous episode we just reviewed. There's elements that I find intriguing that could work. And there was a lot that they wanted to tackle in this episode, but whether or not it is effective, was effective. I will get into it remains to be seen still what, how everything ends up panning out. And that's the thing is that I, I don't, I would say, I don't know if it was effective right now. The question is, will it come to fruition later by the end of the season? One of the aspects that's the most potentially interesting and yet also could be a dead end seems to be the notion of fate, destiny, and the future not necessarily being the same thing, which is a questionable talking point we'll get into later, but the writer of this episode used an amulet made by, was it Romanian or Roman? I, think, I thought it was Romanian. Romanian guys? Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, Good job. That acts, thank you, I'm a professional, acts as a device that lets them, the, the user, see into the future, see something that is destined to happen. However, that's kind of where the idea ends, leaving us to wonder if the stated se separation of destiny, fate, and the future is something that will continue does it have any narrative purpose or was it used solely for the immediate purpose of the episode in which we're in? Will it have greater significance for this show and subsequently the supernatural series as a whole? I'm hoping it does because as we all know us long time supernatural fans, 
the idea of free will, free will versus determinism has always been a big part of supernatural, specifically the first five seasons. It was the mm-hmm. foundation of much of the narratives that they crafted. So is this, if it, is this changing or supporting that notion? Yeah. And that's, uh, that's why I listed it as a topic because we do need to dissect and sort through it because if they're trying to say, okay, fate, destiny, and the future are all very three, three very distinct things, then are they trying to find ways around certain aspects? Because that was also a problem in the later scenes of Supernatural when the whole idea was that they had free will, but then we mm-hmm. found out via Dab's buffoonery mm-hmm. that God has been orchestrating everything, but he's the grand puppeteer. Right. Like, well, then they don't really have free will. There never was a team free will, but then also it brokers another conversation into another philosophical offshoot of, okay, well, everyone has a marginal amount of free will. I could, at, at this moment, I can say, well, I'm going to go left. I'm going to go right. But determinism states that no matter which direction you take, you'll end up at the same place. Right. So and I'm okay with those types of questions not being answered because that's philosophical. Right. I like that. The way Supernatural did it in the end, except some of the Chuck stuff was a little weak yeah. towards the end. But overall, the let's say the 13, 14 seasons in, w- how they kind of played fast and loose with that concept was fine. I think there's room to be ambiguous with certain aspects because if you were to definitively state, oh, they are free will champions and everything they do supersedes destiny and fate, that sounds and feels a little silly. Um, And the same thing goes for, no, everything has been determined and this is the route they were going to take no matter what. But so leaving those, those question marks, I feel when it comes to certain elements like that is fine. And we'll get into that a little bit more here in a moment. But some of the other key talking points for this discussion here, we have John and Mary get together officially. They officially boink. I don't actually know if that's official, but... Come on. They officially are in a relationship, something we've waited for for a while. And we also find out that Betty is unknowingly working with Kyle, the who I just know as movie theater guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, who has apparently been possessed by the Akrita, which was a reveal I feel should have waited personally, but we'll get to that as well. There is going to be a brief discussion on the photo of Dean, the mystery man in the photo. And we were also treated to a variant of the vampires uh, cult called, was it Il Sorta? Yeah. Il Sorta. Uh, But the main talking point for that is not necessarily the vampires themselves, but a canon issue that was made in a statement about how the bite marks didn't match up to Maggie's death, Mary's sister, who was killed by vampires. There's a canon issue with that, which we'll get to here in a bit. Yeah, I never saw anyone take, you know, a cast of a vampire bite and try to match it up. That's a completely <sighs> new concept that, that feels a little weird because over the course of 15 years, at some point, if that was actually a thing that would have been mentioned, this feels weird. Yeah. We'll, we'll, I'll but get that's only that. one of many vampire issues as well. This yes. Episode. Vampires they were just an to issue. really just tick off uh, retcons uh, across the board when yeah. it comes to vampires. Mm-hmm. It, it was truly bad, uh, but not as bad as the, Oh, groundbreaking embarrassment moment of the decade. And I'll say that with all confidence because it's 2023. And so I've got enough times in so far, which was Carlos dousing his hair in holy water and whipping his hair back and forth uh, to and in fro. a way to and fro that works better. No, but the song, <laughs> I whip my hair back and forth. Oh, Willow, Willow mm. Smith. Yes, very okay. similar. The cringe was equal. Look at you knowing pop culture. Well, Who from, are you from right five, now? five years ago, I'm you're, catching up. It's new to you. It's new to me. You're, you're like Mexico. <laughs> I've got I've got Super Bowl shirts with the wrong winner. <laughs> you make jokes, but I have uh, uncles that have yes. uh, those shirts. Oh, I know. Like, that I makes know. no sense, Tijuana. Please take that off. Uh Carlos is is luscious locks to lubricate the vampires and I just want a moment of silence for that because wow 
I, I, I'll have words. I was, but it, I don't have words. I was embarrassed for them. I yeah. was embarrassed for the actor. I literally it, did the the Picard face palm, and Randy's like, "What are you watching?" <laughs> I, I didn't know what was happening. I knew they, what was they're happening. They're really trying to sell Carlos I as understand. a sex symbol, but in order to be a sex symbol, you gotta have sexiness a sex appeal i mean you don't even need to be good looking i know no, plenty of people who thing. aren't necessarily good looking but they ooze sexiness and not to be mean we're talking about in canon in universe carlos as he is depicted as a character is neither sexy and this is me as a straight man so this may not mean much but he's not sexy nor is he good looking why yeah. are they forcing this? I'd rather see a John Winchester take his shirt off, douse himself with holy water, and rub up against suggestively all the vampires like, instead. Like a nightclub. That's how you found out who the vampire was. You you grind against them, and then if they start <laughs> burning, you're like, found one, found one. Yeah, just dry hump. Well, it wouldn't be dry humping it, because you'd be doused you'd in be holy wet. water. Yeah. yeah. Just strip yourself of all your clothes. Mm -hmm. Go to the clubs. Put a bunch of holy water all over your, your body. Hair. It yeah. looks like sweat. And then just start grinding with everyone. And whoever starts burning, freaking out, you've identified as a vampire. <gasps> Although, technically you wouldn't, because that's not fucking canon. Mm. Yeah. So, well, that's a whole that's other That's a whole thing. other moment that I'm going to have. They were too horned up over getting Carlos all sexified with his hair to they even think no. that you never defeat vampires no, with holy water. That's just not a fucking thing. It wasn't that. It was the sponsorship from Garnier Fructis <laughs> that had to be met. Because I've worked in advertising. I know all the people who are all the salesmen have the worst fucking ideas. And that was uh, equivalent to one of them. So... <laughs> It's fucking weird. We'll dude. get into that. I don't know that. what the fuck's we'll, happening we'll with this show. Get, I will fucking get into it. All dude, right. The wheel. I think the, the wheel just like, you know, like in the Oregon trail, the classic stories, you know, <laughs> the wheel came it, off. The, the wheel cart. just, just broke. Like, fuck it. We're just going to keep going on the we, broken three wheel. wheels. And is it. they just went right off the cliff. It's just scraping the mud and the rock up with everything. And it happened right at the top of the hill. Right. So just inertia <laughs> is taking them just plummeting to the earth. Anyway. Reel it in. Uh, and scene. Yeah. All right. So the synopsis for this episode, the group finds themselves fighting what are claiming to be vampires. And John has a vision of dying at the fangs of their leader. Hmm. I want another moment of silence for whoever wrote that. <laughs> fangs of the leader. Are cameras on? Yeah, they're on. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to zoom in okay. on you. There you go. Okay. So let's talk about the writing. Maybe, maybe we should turn the crossroads <laughs> into, do the kids still remember, uh, was it talk soup? Remember that back on comedy central with, uh, jo Joe McHale. Uh, uh, yeah. Is that what it was? The, the soup. The soup. That's yes. what it was. Maybe we should turn the crossroads discusses the Winchesters and just, it's like we show a clip of what happened soup. and then we just cut to us sitting there like, yeah. What, what, what did we just watch? <laughs> All right. We're almost there. Are we? No, okay. I'd say we're almost there to oh, turning the, the show, show into that. The show is almost there. Yes. All right. Let's, let's just like the, the wagon wheel, just go forward regardless of logic and get into the writing of this episode. That's the thing we always talk about. Perhaps the most, the most. So I'm having, I'm having a stroke. I'm having a stroke from this episode. This first, is, this is difficult. First, this it's it's worth mentioning, and it's not a shame tactic, but it is worth mentioning that the episode was once again written by someone with zero existing writing credits and zero existing credits at all. Um, Rachel Lynette is the writer of this episode, and. That being said, it, it has some elements that do work for it in terms of design. Tackling dual narratives, conjoining narratives was effective. That was well put together. The pacing, the, the back and forth of an A and B plot. But some of the components and, the, and or the substance themselves that were displayed within the episode were head scratchers to 
put it nicely. The strongest aspect we talked about was the philosoph the philosophical aspects, or at least potential philosophical aspects pertaining to fate, destiny, and the aspect that these two pieces of phenomenon play in the perceived future of John. And a lot of this is stuff that could be really interesting, or it could be a lot of misdirection. The reason this seems relevant to discuss is obvious. We've talked about free will on Supernatural for years now. Mm-hmm. Team free will, the, making their own choices, paving their own future, doing things their way. That has always been a hallmark, not only of the show, but of the characters and their identities, especially Dean. Sam was one who was more willing to do what fate required or this is how things are supposed to happen, whether it was trying to shut the gates to hell or falling into the role of being Lucifer's vessel. He was more accepting of that idea. Whereas Dean always fought tooth and nail and would go to the grave rather than accept that someone else had control over his decisions or his life. One of my favorite episodes is the, the hallmark of that, which is the, what is and what never should be where he has like a perfect life, but because it's a lie that someone has manipulated and fabricated for him, he literally kills himself to escape that false reality into the real one because it's his choice and he will not be someone else's puppet. Conversely, we then have this very notion that the entire, I would say the entire if not 11 season run, the first 11 seasons, at least the first five is built on this idea of they make their own decisions. They spit in the face of heaven and hell, destiny, and even to some degree, God to do things their way. Which then, and that whole idea was, was strengthened when Chuck, AKA God was brought back in season 11 Mm -hmm. when he specifically said, after Dean had questioned why he's not involved with humanity, why he lets all these terrible things happen. And Chuck said he's hands off. Yeah. For reasons that makes sense. You have to grow. You have to learn as people. The more he manipulated, the worse things got. Yeah. So that also strengthened the idea of free will that God is just observing from afar. Every once in a while, he may wiggle himself into someone's story, move something just a little bit as we saw in season five in a way that we don't realize he's doing right. Which also weirdly comes back to one of my favorite depictions of God, which comes from Futurama, which is if you've done things right, people won't be sure you've done anything at all. Mm hmm. And I love the simplicity of that statement. And that's very much what we see in the first five, if not 11 seasons of this show. However, then we have the notion that came in at the end with the reveal that God's been not only interfering with Sam and Dean's life, but deliberately controlling and changing things and fucking with them, which muddies this concept from the very beginning, it muddied that concept. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I, I would claim that it didn't work at the, in the end. It did not serve a stronger story. It mm-hmm. did not serve a greater purpose. It was just something they came up with to contrive that the, the, not the hero, but a good guy had become the villain all along. This now being a show that takes place prior to all these events, at least as far as we know within the universe that we believe it to be in at this time, the writer asserts that fate, destiny, and the future are not necessarily the same thing. Now, Webster's Merriam-Webster be damned. We're going (laughs) to say that they are different things, I guess, despite uh, definitions The big question that comes from that is, does this imply that we need to forget what we think the future holds for this show and for our characters? Is there, excuse me, is there a narrative reason why they want us to separate destiny and or fate from our perception of the future or our understanding of the future as it currently exists? 
the biggest thing would be narrative purposes, mm-hmm. wanting to create their own story and and say at the end, oh, well, what you think you know is totally different because we're going to go in a different direction because we have a story we're trying to tell. And in order to do so, we need this freedom of movement. Which if they do that and they explain it and they methodically lay out how fate and destiny in the future are three very distinct things that don't necessarily funnel back into the exact same would be future via causality. Okay, fine. Find a creative way to explain it. And if that's the way they're doing it, then I'm fine with that. And I would actually welcome it because perhaps, and I'm saying perhaps with a lot of hope, an optimism that maybe Robbie Thompson has gone back and realized that the whole free will thing is a little up in the air at this point. And maybe this is his way of bringing it back into the fold. Trying to retcon in, yeah. a retcon to tie back into the original concept. While also giving them their own room, as you were saying, to do what they need to do. Because as we know, in the previous episode, we saw Dean in that photo, thereby stating there's some type of paradox thing going on. Right. So are they trying to create an excuse? And this is a good thing if they are, but this isn't a negative as to why certain things are going to work out the way they have planned. Are they justifying for future events? Yeah. Potentially. Um, I, I think if done correctly, that would be the best case scenario that there are other factors at play that we're not entirely privy to that change the very course of destiny in some way. Uh, but I but I have a lot of fears about that, too. And maybe we're putting our own creative wants maybe. into this yeah, because guilty I, of that I know if I was hired to write season one of the Winchesters, the first thing I would do is the entire story would revolve around fate, destiny, and the future. (laughs) The entire thing would be a philosophical discourse in order to create this viable foundation that then brings the original show into the the fold with Winchesters as well. The very first thing I would do would be looking at where do I need these characters to end? Yes. What story can I say about this tragic beginning? And much like the Star Wars discussion in the pre in the pre-show, how do I fill in gaps of things that you didn't know you wanted, mm-hmm. but explain how we got there? And then I would build backwards until I found an entry point. Yeah. That works. And I feel like I I honestly I don't know if this gets that vibe. I feel like this is more let's start with something fun that we came up with that we want to do. We'll figure out how it ties together later. And while I'm not a fan of that route there, if done correctly, which is always the, the, this is like have an asterisk in front of every statement I ever say, if done correctly, that could work for this and, and give you justification for these changes and what's going to happen. But I, I don't know if I'm seeing enough there to, to make me believe that because for one, I would, let's Clarify here. What is in their minds now the dis- difference between fate, destiny, and the future? Yeah. Well, let's look at you. You brought, you made a joke about the uh, dictionary, but let's look at some <laughs> dictionary terms and then we're going to go into some philosophical terms to see possibly. Oh, do you, do you have definitions what, for us? Yes. For the so class. What is the difference between destiny and future? A, destiny involves what is going to happen, what has to happen. Or what is meant to be. If a certain future is said to be someone's destiny, it can mean that it's destined or ordained or predetermined to happen or that it should happen. And that's different from fate how? Well, I'm going to get there. So this brings up the other question. Well, what does this mean about causality? Are we talking causality? Because causality does dictate the future. And causality is actually a component of destiny. Right. The next bit and what fate or destiny is in this context, maybe this is what they're trying to do. Is it simply a cipher or some apparatus that allows one to define one's future then? Is that what they're trying to say? 
that destiny and fate are simply tools to divine the future. But it doesn't necessarily mean that is the actual future or the events. Because it just sounds like that we're saying the same thing again. Well, fate and destiny are technically different. They are not. They are very inter interchangeable. And most people use them interchangeably and it's, and it's been accepted. Most people would say yes to the same. But if you get into the nitty gritty, they do mean different things. Typically, fate is more often attributed to supernatural powers. Destiny is a means of shaping one's future, and it usually implies the subject themselves has no real control of particular determined events. And this goes into determinism, which is a philosophical view on how our world actually operates and how everything is just a piece of phenomenon that bumps into the next. But isn't that then fate? Fate is typically used to describe your, your preordained future through the lens of the supernatural. So, there so is, is that the only difference? Technically, yes. God, that is that is splitting hairs. That's purple and mauve. That is that is right fucking there. Or was it more about saying that even if we think we see our future, it's not always what it means. Well, so the way it's I set. the way I was kind of interpreting from what they were saying is that fate is something that this has to happen. This incident. Destiny is the greater purpose or story that's going to happen. John's fate was to get bit by a vampire. The destiny is to give rise to Sam and Dean Winchester. And the future is just the, the things that will come the to end be. Result. Yeah. And the end results are, or, or what happens. So it's almost like a macro micro level. Mm -hmm. Now that's not what the definitions are, but that's how I'm, that's what it seems to me to be the, nitty gritty when it comes to this show well that's why i said when i listened or i was watching this episode yeah. i should say that's why when i heard them say fate destiny blah 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 in future i'm like wow a triple threat you're just <laughs> you're you're bold you're throwing in all the possibilities you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of this parks and recs joke where he's like has these cards the credit card yeah and it's like they're all black he's like they're all black onyx obsidian midnight <laughs> It's like, they're all fucking black, dude. They're, yeah. they're this, you may call them different things, but. And the reason why I gave this a pass is because I'm a philosophy guy. And uh, uh -huh. tactically, all three are different in philosophical context. God, yeah. But I don't know if this writer was going down the philosophical route. I think route. you read too many books, Mike, for, for this. Translate that right now. You're thinking deeper about it than anyone else who worked on it did. Probably. And that's my fear <laughs> because that's the, the thing you and I have had discussions with Ryan in season nine and 10 of this show. When we were talking, we had like three, four hour discussions discussing fate, the nature of evil destined to, or fall victim to with the Mark of Cain. And nobody was putting in that much thought. And I don't Tricky think he did. Well, we weren't talking about those episodes. Sarah Gamble we? did. We weren't talking about those Carver episodes. Did. Were we? In the end, after he got rid of some baggage that then came back. Yeah, Carver didn't have a perfect run, but no, but he had a strong it, run. Yeah. I, I don't get the same sense here. And the reason that we're talking about this to such in depth is because in universe, there has been a tightly woven parallel of free will and determinism at play in the world of supernatural since its conception. Yeah. And so to introduce something like this, and that's where I feel like it doesn't, it hasn't been thought out to the same. You degree. have to be careful with your vocabulary, with your choice words when it comes to these types of things. And ultimately that's my point. Yeah. Because I also don't feel like they're meaning to separate the three into some grand philosophical plan. They're just throwing out words. I feel like that they sound, select that sound which fancy. One. They you could know? have just said, it will show you your fate. It will show you your destiny. It will show you the future. And they said, well, let's just say all three. Right. So you can just pick a word. Well, okay. So <laughs> maybe they were trying to say that your future isn't what you perceive it to be. Meaning all John saw was the fact that he was laying on the ground bitten by a vampire. Mm -hmm. He didn't see the aftermath of that. He didn't see what led up to that. So perhaps what he saw was a 
aspect of fate where he would, in fact, be laying down. His destiny would be to lay down on the ground and, mm. and look as if he's dying. But the future is actually that he lives on, that that was all part of his plan to die in order to contaminate or poison mm-hmm. the vamp. See, but the thing is, that is assuming a Oedipus Rex style Sphinx's trickery <laughs> with what fate has been shown to you and what will come to pass. And by tr- like an appointment in Sumatra, by trying to avoid a certain thing, you end up in, in ensuring that it happens. And I think this was simply used as misdirection. Just to tell a story. Just to tell a story. Yeah. And I fear that's as far as the discussion went. When the old show would have had. This would have been a narrative seed. Yes. For something. And I don't feel like this was a narrative seed in the slightest. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. But one thing we did get that we know should be a narrative seed is John and Mary's relationship going public. They made it Facebook official. Oh, look at them. And that is hopefully going to be John Winchester would never be on Facebook. Yeah, no, they wouldn't, but you know, well dating myself, maybe the CW version of John Winchester would be on TikTok. (laughs) He'd be using hashtags. I'm on the gram. That's what he would say too. You know how I know that? Because I'm in my 30s and I'm acting like I know what the kids say these days, which is exactly the kind of writing we get these days. Uh, But hopefully this will result in a change in dynamic with the team because not only would it be more interesting if there's clearly favorites, who do you save, Carlos and, and Latika, or do you save Mary? Do you save John or do you go after and help Ada? See, if you have a relationship yes. involved, that's going to complicate that decision-making process when, as Mary says, lives are at stake. And also, I'm hoping it, f- it feeds into the whole idea, and this is only going to happen if the writers truly understand Supernatural, but there's always been a tone of desperation and even a form of codependency when it oh, comes yeah. to Sam and they, Dean. They don't have... They well, broke the universe. The that's why Deb had to interfere because they were... Fucking with life and death like it was no thing. Like going out of dart. style. Yeah, like you're going to the bar to play darts on a Friday night. It's just a thing. The entire Winchester families, John, Mary, Sam, and Dean, have serious emotional abandonment and codependency issues. Like yep. they cannot function without the others. And so far with John, it does seem like they they are doing that with him because of his anger and and this angst that he has, and then also the phrase "you can't get rid of me that easy," Campbell. Yeah, and when when Mary was taken to that uh, weird Sandman land, wherever he she mm-hmm. went in the potato sack, like oh, God. that's like such a bad idea that you're just like spitting out in a full episode. You know, that was produced. That was an actual produced episode. <laughs> the and then bag potato she gets sack. taken into a potato sack. Like a canvas bag of dreams or like, like I just buy something from the grocery store. Yeah. It's just bad. But anyways, my point is that we saw the point of the, the actual part that mattered to me, at least in that episode was to see John's desperation to save Mary and to see that, that codependence already starting to seep through that take root, yeah. the desperation. So I'm hoping that that's going to be not only an aspect of John and Mary's relationship, but it has to be a defining aspect. We need to start seeing the, the foreshadowing. Well, if there is one aspect of the show that has been handled properly so far, it is absolutely John Winchester's he is the single stuff. All of him, him and Mary's been okay too. But I'd say if I Mary's choose been okay, one, but they played fast and loose with a lot of stuff too. Yeah, John is probably consistent. The, yes, the most consistent, the most accurate so far, without a doubt. Yeah, between his anger, his his compassion, which are you know same sides of this or two different sides of the same coin, his obsession, his inability to let things go and throw himself into the forefront. These are all things that are reminiscent of the John Winchester we know in his later years. And they do pretty well keeping that consistent through this. The scene with uh, Betty and Millie talking about John 
his internal struggles, his anger and need to lash out. That is all stuff that we see will haunt him as he becomes an adult and a grown man with his kids of his own. The even putting, keeping people in the dark that he cares about yeah, because he thinks he's doing it for the greater good or the right reasons. Essentially, he's doing that to Betty, even though they're not in a relationship anymore. He still cares about her, but she doesn't know anything. So he can keep her safer. He tries to keep his mom out of stuff unless it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. These are same things that he's done or I well will do later in the future. It's his destiny. And, or is it? <laughs> or perhaps it's his fate. But not his future. Unless it is. Mm. <laughs> but I will say that these characteristics are very much on par with Dean. A yeah. lot of these things so far in both of them. I've seen. Yeah. I've seen Mary and John characteristics here that we saw before came from them for Sam and Dean. I see a little bit of Dean in John. I see a little bit of Sam in John. Same mm -hmm. with Mary. It all, that all works because Mary and her importance on his life is, I think they're doing a pretty good job bringing that to light. Yeah. She is the missing link to his life in many respects. Without her, he's angry, a little lost, looking for itching for the next fight, which also sounds like John we know from season one. And she is somebody who brings out compassion, the tenderness or, or the, the nicer side of John. She brings out strength of being a better person for him and not giving into his vices. And very much. He does a lot of that stuff for her as well. She's almost like his compass. Yeah. And it makes sense because yeah. later without her, he's, he's, he's a man without a compass. He's literally, literally that. Yeah. And he's just going where chasing any lean. He can, he is possessed by her ghost in a lot of ways and showing this groundwork here really does help us believe that without her, he would be lost. Mm -hmm. Especially after what, 20, 30 years at 20 years of being with her. Yeah. So, and I, and I think that is a nice job of foreshadowing the dark future he has without her or, and a lot of the stuff they're doing with Mary also explains the person we know and come to know in seasons 12, 13 and 14. So I like that part, that part they've been doing pretty well with. Unfortunately, that's only half the cast because. Yeah, I, I want to say really fast before we yeah, move on. Yeah, I, yeah. I will say that that is the it's not just John. I think John's I think he's great. But I, the element of John and Mary. And how they're marrying all these different aspects, meshing them together to create this this type of unified character is the best thing about this show so far. Absolutely. It Without sometimes makes me forget about some of the canon issues and the over the top aspects with Carlos. And, yeah. and if I try to focus on just them, but also it creates a little bit more frustration for me an internal conflict, because yes, I can say, let me focus on just these characters. And yes, this is a story that truly matters to our uh, legacy characters, Sam and Dean, but also there's an argument to be made. These two actors are doing a great job. The story about John and Mary is strong. There's an argument to be made that the show should have been just them. They are the emotional strength. They are the narrative strength. Why are we wasting time with all of this other nonsense? There is no reason to have any of these other characters permanently in the show. Uh, a character like Latika. Mm -hmm. And Carlos could easily just be another Joe and Ellen or an Ash. This show and now and then early on where they pop in when you need it. We don't need them every episode. I, I feel like it's really dragging the story down and it's unnecessary. Well, that was the entire wasted part, frankly, of the last episode. Samuel Campbell is back. The whole discussion was Mary's going to quit hunting when she finds her dad. 
He now is learning that she has a relationship with this John guy. And I spend most of this episode fucking around with Loki and Carlos's bandmates from a lifetime I never heard nor cared about. Yeah. And for what greater purpose did that episode serve? Showing that Carlos is a good guy who will not sacrifice innocent lives? I assumed that by him being a hunter that Mary and John and Latika are even interacting with compared to somebody like a Gordon in season two of Supernatural. I don't need you to explain that Superman's a good dude. I get it from the inherent concept. So I, I 100% agree. It should have been just Mary and John and these other characters helped them out from time to time showing up. And it should have just been, they should have been the Sam and Dean yeah. taking care of all these cases while these other characters are the Bobby, Rufus, Joe, Ellen, Jody Mills, all of these the, people that would show problem, up. The problem though, Thomas, I'm going to be completely honest here. You cannot have a show. Well, you can, mm -hmm. but you can't. Socially speaking, nope. you can't have a show with two white cis individuals on the CW. Yeah. And, and it seems like more and more that the reason why they added more people, look at the people that are added. Yeah. People of color. People of different agendas. LGBTQ gender, individual. Gender identities. Yeah. And all of that is just fine. But this is an example of insincere representation you're doing it because you think you have to not because it's natural or organic to your story but you're just doing inclusion for inclusion's sake because you know what social media is gonna say yeah and i'm so tired of that the main thing when it came to that was very prevalent in this episode was once again unfortunately our kind of punching bag for a lot of narrative or, or not even narrative writing problems. And it's not fair. It's not fair to him. It really isn't. And I, I want to make that clear before we get into this, because this is going to be a very, this is going to, this is an indictment coming up. We're yeah. about to fucking rip some heads off, <laughs> but I want to be clear that this is not about Joto Fleetus. No, this is about Carlos, the character. Yes. And the writers and producers behind this character, because it feels cynical, the very nature of the introducing or, or, or what they have him do in so many of these episodes. The, it's become trite. It's become boring. It's become just, just, I'm not even sure the words, man, like checklisty. Of course you'd fucking have him do that. He's the gay guy, so let's do the most flamboyant fucking thing we can think of because it'll be fabulous, said some producer or someone in the background who doesn't live the life, is a part of the culture, knows another human being that is a member of the community. The, the queer inclusion is feeling more platitudinal and not sincere not representation. Sincere. Now, one character that we keep talking about from another show is um, Lafayette from True Blood. He's a character that was introduced a little over the top. It was expertly written, expertly acted, but it was over top, over the top. But throughout, as the show progressed, there would be moments where he would return to that flamboyancy. Mm -hmm. But because you're telling for all, essentially a, a dramatic piece, they would bring him down because as a person and as an individual and as a good piece of queer representation, he was shaped to be a real person that a had, real fucking person that had a range of moods. He had bad days. He had real moments. He was not always the best, sexiest, most awesome thing ever. He was, he was a great character that had demons that had problems that had enemies when you whittle a queer character's identity down to the basic functions of one's sexuality and exploitive flair, like the sexually suggestive dance, dance off, off against vampires that ends with the spewing of liquid all over the face of vamps. It seems like a rather dull and insulting metaphor that in my opinion, and again, this is me as a cis male. So please Thomas jump in. It ultimately undermines the desired representation. 
by continuing to place Carlos into queer stereotypes. Absolutely. It is is no different than if they were to cast a black guy and have him speak like a slave. Oh, the lolly. Hello there, sir. Yeah. And I'm doing this for the purposes of not parody, for the purposes to drive home my point. Same thing with a Mexican. Let's cast a Mexican. Let's name him Juan. Let's give him a sombrero and have him talk with broken English. He always has two pistols and bandoliers are his weapons. <laughs> this is what they are doing with queer representation on this show, people. This we, is not good. This is not positive. This is detrimental to normalizing queer identities. This is what people think queer identity should be. Because, we, first of all, one, we already had the gay hunters in Supernatural proper that were just hunters who happened to be in a relationship. Mm-hmm. We had the flamboyant yet still fucking awesome Bane's sibling. I cannot remember his first name right now, but the, the, the twins. Yeah. That I still want that fucking spin Tasha and Bane. Tasha Bangs. And- that was the fucking. Wait, that's a porn. Tasha Bangs. <laughs> the twigs and twines. And Tasha Baines episode was was this <laughs> Tasha Banks. I don't know where I got that. From. I don't know. You're, what are you? What's on your other screen over there? <laughs> that was still the hallmark for how to fucking launch a pilot, but nobody's done anything with that, and it makes me very upset. But you've had better representation of their identity in the sexual aspect of their life is not solely their identity. Castiel was better representation. Yeah. And that goes against what a lot of people want to believe. Yeah. Throughout the several years that he was in the show, the, the relationship between Benny and Dean was that was <laughs> doused with coded. Yes. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That's not offensive. Um, subtext. Homoerotic. Homoerotic subtext. subtext. That was better representation. Mm hmm. Benny almost said, why can't I quit you? Like, Mm -hmm. that's how close it was. Yes. But we also just reviewed on the other show, Critique Revolve, Knock at the Cabin, which has a gay couple as the primary protagonists. And neither of them do a... Okay, here's the two different options. You have gay couple, one of which blows away someone who invaded their home to save his family, but also is in a gay relationship. Or gets his hair wet and breakdance spin stabs... (laughs) A vampire with sass. Which one feels it's, more like a stereotype? I, I that was the worst fucking scene because it wasn't even well thought out. It wasn't like they were trying to drown him and he muttered some prayer and like touched the water. So then it burned them like John when he blessed the water in season one to keep the demons at bay as he escaped near the end of the season. When Meg and the, her brother, I don't even remember his name, were involved. Yeah. There was no cleverness to this. It was her literally dousing his hair with holy water. He's soaking wet and he does this spin flip move and it feels straight out as though, what was it? Garnier Fructis or Neutrogena, whatever the one does the fucking hair flip commercial. And I just groaned because one, that's not canon to hurt a vampire in any fucking way. Mm-hmm. Two, we're sure, right? We're, we're sure. Pretty, now, if for some reason this we're is, wrong, this listeners is the out weaknesses. there, please tweet us at Crossroads SPN and let us know if we are wrong. If if killing vampires or hurting vampires with holy water has been established in Supernatural, please let us know. Because as far as I know, that's never been canon. Holy water has never been used to hurt vampires. There's only been, what, three or four established I have memes? the list right here from the wiki. That we've used this entire time we've ever done the show. That we've had people put us on this wiki. You have decapitation kills it. The cult kills it. Angels being able to smite them kills them. The anti-vamp device developed by the British Mental Letters that releases the toxic gas that kills them via suffocation. Those four things and vampanite when a human who's been fed the Leviathan food additive that is fatal to the monster who ingests it. That's five. The episode, uh, what episode 20 of season one, dead yes. man's blood. Yes. Where they firmly established that a vampires are pretty much folklore at this point. 
Yes, they are in legend. so sparse that they're not even sure they even exist. Okay, but here now we've seen the vampires how many times in the show? Two or three times? We've seen two different types of vampires. Oh, okay, so n not only that, vampires were so unknown that the only way they could fight them in dead man's blood, really, uh, and effectively put mm -hmm. them down was to use the cult. Yep, and they had to go at daytime because it was too dangerous to assault the nest at night. Why would Dean run the risk of wasting a bullet on a vampire? Well, no, why would John? When, well, he did that. Why would he waste a bullet if you could use holy water? This whole thing, it's unraveling, Thomas. It's fucking the only, unraveling. And here's the thing. It's not even a weakness. The only weaknesses for them are dead man's blood, which makes them basically sick and immobile. Sunlight, which is not deadly, but can result in a sunburn and it hinders their ability to see or heal or sleep. The cure, which isn't either, that's not even a weakness. That's just you can cure vampirism if they haven't fed yet. Mm -hmm. And scent masking, which you can use to basically hide your appearance, to hide from them smelling your blood, which is used against Gordon Walker. There is nothing or serious physical harm, such as getting like thrown into a wood chipper, enough damage where they can't heal and in a very short amount of time. You know how easy it would have been to get rid of Gordon Walker when he was trying to kill Sam if all you had to do was use some holy water? Why would you grab barbed wire with your bare hands and pull until you've gashed open your own wounds, your own hands, when you could have just gone... Yeah. We got to wrap our first hour here. Ugh, okay. But this is why I get frustrated, Thomas, because this isn't hard to do. That took me a minute to Google. All you have to do is Google. And the, the writers out there, if you're listening, and I hope you are, maybe you can learn a few things. Because you guys, I'm sorry, but you guys suck right now. It's not good. All you have to do is ask. If you don't even want to Google on SuperWiki, which is a free public reference compiled by fans, why don't you tweet out, hey, guys, what are some uh, things that hurt vampires? The fans will shoot you straight. Well, we want to help you. Ask we former writers who are on the show. No, 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 it's too hard. What if they don't want to send out email? You know, Hollywood, you know, a competition, you know, don't yeah. want to ask. Ask the, the fans. We're here. We're willing to steer you in the right direction. You can't fucking lock yourself in a fucking uh, cave with no internet access. <laughs> and I guarantee you they never watched 15 seasons of Supernatural. No, guarantee they didn't. So what are they relying on? Do they have a series Bible? That's an actual thing, by the way. Oh, I guarantee they don't. Do they not have one or are they just... There's too many oh, mistakes. Dad eat it before you fucking left the office. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm, I would bet there's too many mistakes right now. For me to think that there's a Bible that everybody's reading off of. I bet that Thompson is just going off a of memory when he's bothered to care. He, he wasn't even around from day one. He only entered, what, season eight? I think season seven. Uh, but I, listen, I've never had a problem with Robbie Thompson. But after this, I mean, this is this is falling on his shoulders. And I don't want to say this. But I know we're, we're nine episodes in. We still have a few more to season go. Season seven. But either way, it doesn't even matter how this season ends up. At this point, this show is extremely lazy, the yeah. writers. And that falls. I know people are going to get mad at me. That falls on Jensen's shoulders. He is the producer. He can no, we no longer have the buffer of Robert Singer yeah. and Andrew Dapp. That's no longer the buffer. No. Jensen is the boss of the show with Robbie Thompson. It feel, the ship feels like it's just sailing into the waters without a captain. It's just wherever the wind takes it, whoever wants to turn at the wheel, fuck it. Let's go that way. Weak writing is one thing. Let, let's say that this is all they could get. Let's be fair here. Let's say this is all they could get for writers. Okay. Well, it's not that hard to abide by at least canon. The vampire thing is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. One of the most iconic villains of not just the show, but the supernatural is we understand it on planet earth vampires are if not the most damn near close to the most well-recognized documented accounted for narrative fiction based creature yeah. other than what fucking ghosts that might be the only thing that has legs up over them and you can't take the time to google 
something that has a 15 year history. Why? Yeah. Why? There's more to talk about. And for that, we're going to go into our second hour, which you can get access to via Patreon over at patreon.com slash Digital. However, we are going to give our final scores and a quick synopsis on how we felt about this episode. Mike, I'm going to come to you first. What do you, what do you give this episode? Where does this one stand for you? It, 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 I'm really, I got a lot to say still on the second hour. Too. I'm, I'm really conflicted because I stand by the fact that John, the John and Mary stuff is really good. It, it's not perfect, but it's good. At least it feels authentic. It feels like there's a general yeah. understanding of who Mary was and who John was. And for that reason, this episode is not getting a 10%. Okay. <laughs> because this episode is complete shit. 10%. Wow. I'm going to give it a 55%. And that's only because of the John and Mary stuff. Everything else, go fuck yourself. It is awful. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever said anything like this about any episode of Supernatural. It's starting to just build the rage. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to give it a pass. I keep, I try to be a good fan, but my fanness only goes so far. So it's just like a, a gamut of just bullshit. Yeah. This episode was embarrassing. It was embarrassing to watch for me. Not just the silliness and what is perhaps the dumbest moment of combat I've ever seen, but the just flagrant disregard for canon, logic, basic A to B plot, space and understanding of where heroes and villains went. Like, how do you lose someone in what tunnels does any business have underground? Oh, what are you talking about? Hold on one second. You just reminded me. The men of letters. In order for you to get your story going, you you contrive this idea that a men of letters would put something of importance like an amulet in a fucking P.O. box? A regular or ass a bank. safety deposit box when they have tons of bunkers all over the place with proper warding? That box also in the very beginning, they just open. There's no spell to blow it up if it's a monster and not a human. It's just weak. There's nothing about it that's locked or enchanted. You're telling me that Chase Bank has got the security that they feel. And here's the thing, dude. This fucking episode came down to what if vampires could rob banks? That is a fucking <laughs> Andrew Dab level plot idea that they ran with and never put any more thought into. And that's what fucking bothers me is that nobody puts any other thought into how does this matter? How does, how does a vampire cult have control over the entire bank? How is that not a question? Why do they need this amulet? How does this involve the Akrita? Does this have anything to do with fate? Who were they? Were they the new leaders of the vampire cult? Yeah. Or was it just the seven of them who Mary all murdered? You know what? The, like, like we said, Thomas, this, all of these answers or all these questions have answers. And the answer is, is simple. The writers don't know anything about supernatural. They don't. So that's that why. is the obvious answer. It, and it's so fucking obvious with every episode that goes by. The, the whole plot of him killing himself so that the vampire can go over and pick up a dead body to bite it and wouldn't realize that it's a dead body when he is a vampire knows he's harmed by <laughs> dead man's blood. Being dead isn't something you hide. What are you talking about? It's like a mask, Thomas. If John, why do all the vampires have worse makeup than John, me? If John loses his senses because he's dead, the vampire around him also loses his senses. It's like little kid logic, you know. If I close my eyes, I can't see you no more. This is not and a game of fucking me. peekaboo. And nobody, everyone, and that's the thing that just fucking astounds me. Someone took that and read the script, and they're like, "Yep, no problems here." It just seems so stupid. And then they made the episode. Yeah. It's a 50%. I think this, this is the lowest I've scored probably anything 
because the entire trickery MacGuffin thought plot progress is undone by two minutes of Google and logic thinking. So yeah. we have plenty more to say. Uh, about this episode if you are interested in that not all negative not all negative well, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about dean's presence in the winchester yeah and we what didn't it, get to that and what it may mean so we have that to get into as well during for the uh, patreon bonus if you're interested in that head on over to patreon.com slash rainman digital you can get all that episode content and more we put a ton of shit out there and if this is it for you we want to thank you all for listening please rate review share the show if you think it's worth sharing and hopefully We'll see you next time. You little maggot. You are no longer a part of this story. Hey, ass butt.